Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. My guest today is Jack Schwager. Yep, that's right. Jack Schwager of Market Wizard fame. Those books, those classics are where anyone who's serious about trading and learning the markets go so that they can read and study the minds of great traders. Today, we dig into another of Jack's classic books, a revamped, updated version of the Complete Guide to the Futures Market. It is a 700-page-plus epic. It's always a pleasure to speak to Jack Schwager. I hope you enjoy his interview. But first up in the show, we hear from Louise Bedford in MindPower on trial and success and how effective learning is always error-driven. The term trial and success isn't something people talk about. Usually we hear of people's successes only after they've been through some of life's trials and tribulations and made some errors along the way. Whether we're talking about the field of trading or a totally unrelated pursuit, successful people have often emerged victorious only after being through the ringer. Scratch the surface of any leader and you'll often find battle scars and wounds from the physical to the emotional, and it seems to only urge them into greatness. Facing health issues, the pain of retrenchment, or a spouse that didn't believe in them, many great traders have faced the unthinkable and soldiered on. The formula laid out by our parents where if we work hard and we're conscientious, then we'll do well in life, just doesn't cut it anymore. However, it's my belief in the current economic conditions, we're going to see a whole range of exceptional investors emerge, more at any other time within the last decade, because these investors will use their life situations as mental ammunition. Effective learning is error-driven. Failures grab our attention. In fact, researchers have found that the more wildly wrong our predictions are about the markets, the more quickly we learn. Our brain needs failure to create success. So if things haven't been running all that smoothly for you as an investor, realise that you're probably closer than you think. Take heart, you're right on track to lead the trader's life. Need a little short-term trading magic in your life? Chris Tate and I are touring Australia, 
to give you our one-day course so that you can trade the short-term trends and raid the markets. We're coming to Sydney, Perth and Melbourne and you want to be in that room as we reveal our secrets. Go to tradinggame.com.au for details. tradinggame.com.au Jack Schwager, welcome back to Talking Trading. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little excited talking to the Market Wizard expert. Jack, congratulations on the revamped second edition of the Complete Guide to the Futures Market. Jack, this is one of the biggest books I have ever seen. (laughs) I saw you lift it pretty easily, so it must be in shape. (laughs) (laughs) It's 700 pages on the futures market. And it's a reference guide. You're giving people everything here, charts and all, so the audience can make their own choices. Is that what you intended to do? Guided choices. So yes, um, trying to cover the whole spectrum, where I would say I was trying to be different than most books of this type, is not just to present things as fact and take this, you know, this chart pattern means this and just follow it all the time, but rather have a realistic perspective because uh, many of these things only work for a certain percentage of time and you have to have a way of using them so that if it doesn't work, you know what to do. And in fact, very often patterns that don't work are more meaningful than patterns that do work. And all of that is part of the presentation. So I'm trying to approach it with a more realistic perspective of how these things can be used for trading, not just saying, you know, here's the classic uh, pattern, this is what it means. uh, Certainly beginners have a tremendously distorted view of what's possible and what's realistic. And uh, they also think, and that's why a lot of other books are kind of misleading because it makes it sound like it's simple. And they show these nice examples that always work, you know. Like uh, like Perry Mason never loses a case in these in these other in most ch- chart books, the technical pattern always works, you know. But in real life, that's not what happens, and so that's what I think is a critical distinction. Let's go back to the very beginning. Hammer Rabbi, ancient Mesopotamia, seventeen hundred and fifty, Aristotle's Politics and Thales and the Olive Press owners. Dejima Rice Exchange in Osaka in 1697 when a samurai wanted to control the rice markets. In the 19th century, the Royal Stock Exchange in London and the Chicago Board of Trade. These are the origins of futures markets. Can you tell I like history? Let's go to the very basic and let's discuss what some of the key elements of futures markets are. Okay, so futures, um, some of the key points about it. First of all, a critical point is it's a market that is as easy to go short as to go long. And in fact, when any futures contract begins, it begins with what's called zero open interest. And for every buyer, there must be a seller. So you always have an equal number of contracts long and short at any given point in time. So there's no distinction or bias to being long versus short. Uh, so that's one very, very important difference, say, versus something like the stock market, where 99% plus the money is on the long side. Another distinction is the markets tend to be extremely liquid. Uh, So you can get in and out very easily. Uh, The contracts are uniform, and the liquidity is a big aspect of it. And a third element that's important is that futures are really 
virtually the entire world of investment. Because within futures, you have, from the origins you mentioned, you have the original commodity-type markets, which might have been grains and metals and things of that nature. But beginning in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s, you started the, the evolution of uh, financial futures. And so they become even more important. That includes stock indexes, U.S. and worldwide, and all types of stock indexes. It includes currencies, uh, all the major currencies. It includes um, interest rates, short-term rates, long-term rates, inter intermediate-term rates here, Europe, Asia, you know, everywhere. So you have all the world markets, all the key markets that drive everything are represented by futures, which are liquid. And so essentially, if you trade futures, you could virtually trade any any market. When we talk about futures being truly a zero-sum game, what does this concept mean? It means in the futures markets, whenever the whatever the markets do, whichever direction they go, by definition, within the futures market, there's an equal amount of money being made and lost with the proviso that both sides have to pay transaction costs. So actually, there's a little less money made than lost. And therefore, if you don't have any edge, then by definition, you can't win any more than you could win in something like roulette, if you, you know, which is a pure game of chance. The difference is roulette is always a game of chance, and you can never win. Whereas in futures, those people who are skilled, those people who have some sort of edge, can indeed be the ones who make money off the ones who don't. The great debate, fundamental versus technical analysis. Now, I know you've been on both sides of the fence here. What are the pros? What are the cons of each? Okay, so first of all, it's not like one's right and one's wrong. I think for every trader, they will naturally gravitate to one or the other, or sometimes both. So uh, you have traders, uh, as I've discussed in my Market Wizard books, who are pure fundamentalists and look with, at charts and technical analysis with complete disdain. And you also have traders who have quite the opposite view. It's really dependent on what's comfortable to each person. So there's no right or wrong. However, having said that, there is a big advantage in technical over fundamental in terms of risk management. Now, in technical analysis, most cases, it's a matter of going with the market, with the trend of the market. And therefore, by definition, if the market starts going against the trend, you'll start losing money. And the very same factors that are causing your approach to break down are also the factors which, which cause you to get out because you're losing. In fundamentals, it works exactly in reverse. If I think, let's say, that the copper market is cheap at the $3 and it goes down to 250 then it's even cheaper, so I should buy more. So there's a conflict between money management and fund and the intrinsic fundamentals. So it's very, very difficult to combine those. So in that sense, technical is uh, has an edge. But again, I would say it really depends on the person because for some people, uh, fundamentals will be right and technical will be wrong. Let's talk about an example with Martin Taylor and a, and a story with his fundamental trading regarding Apple. 
Sure. So I interviewed Martin, I believe it was 2012, it might have been 11. But at the time, Apple, this is before we split, and Apple had gone up to a high of $500 and had gone down to 350 Now, for, for explanation of who Martin Taylor is, Martin Taylor is, well, to my mind, he's the best emerging market manager that I ever encountered. And he had at that time also been expanded his 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 repertoire to include developed market con, cons, uh, stocks as well. So when I interviewed him, uh, he was managing uh, approximately $7 billion, which was both his hedge funds and his long-only funds. And he was in the process of giving back the money because he didn't want to be bothered managing other people's money and having them bother him. So um, at this time, he had one major losing stock, and that stock was Apple. This goes to, this speaks to the point of risk management being a little difficult when you're a fundamentalist. So it had gone from 500, he didn't buy to 500, but it had gone from 500 to 350. And even though it was his biggest loss and really counted for his entire drawdown almost, he was blindly bullish. And the reason he was blindly bullish was because the way he saw the world was the analysts were projecting Apple's earnings based on extrapolation. And he said, all they're doing is just assuming these earnings will grow at the same rate. What they're missing is Apple is going to grow tremendously in China and other developed countries. It's not in the numbers. And so he was sure that the stock was going up. So he hadn't just – and within six, seven months of that uh, interview, the stock had doubled. Interestingly, he talked about the stock that he was really bearish on, which was a RIM, which was trading $50 at the, that time. And about six, seven months later, it was trading at $12. There's an example of a guy who's a pure fundamentalist, and it certainly works for him, you know. But you didn't study the nuts and bolts of technical analysis until you started interviewing the market wizards. Is that no, right? actually, it was before. It was before. Um, so I, I, didn't, I didn't get technical analysis from the, from, the, from the market wizards I interviewed. That didn't occur in 88. Um, I had been using technical analysis probably – since the late 70s or early, probably late 70s, I would say. And um, my mentor was actually an analyst that worked for me by the name of Stephen Kronowitz, who also became a very close friend. And unfortunately, uh, he died last year and it was actually a personal loss. But Steve, uh, we, we shared an office and he had a great sense of humor. Is one thing about Steve, and we always used to joke all day, and it was a great person to be working with. But the other thing I noticed about Steve is, of all the analysts I had working for me, I was the director of the, the research department. He was the only one who was right more often than wrong, you know. So, and he was the only technical analyst. I came from a f- economics background and sort of had a natural tendency to be skeptical about something like technical analysis. So I saw he was doing well. And I said, okay, what do you, you know, give me the story. What, how are you doing what you do? And he explained it to me and he showed me stuff and whatever. But I got from talking to Steve that this is not just black magic, you know, a bunch of pictures and you there's logic behind it. The logic is whoever you are, whatever market you trade, you cannot do that without it showing up in price. So the prices reflect everything that's going on in the markets. So there is a reason why the picture of what everybody is doing could have significance. 
And then from him also I got basic patterns and and other things of that nature. So he was really uh, the, the person who gave me my knowledge of technical analysis. That combined with my personal experience is really what I draw upon in this book. Let's talk about trend following. Ed Sakota said, the trend is your friend until the end when it bends. Yeah, typical Sakota, yeah. <laughs> trend following is conceptually very easy, but to weather the reactions in the market it is a big deal. What makes a good trend follower? Well, trend following, first of all, has gotten much more difficult uh, than it used to be. So in the days where uh, some of the market wizards, let's say my first book, had just ex- mind-boggling returns. I mean, somebody like Marcus might have been making a thousand percent in some years. Sakoda, Sakoda had enormous returns, but they were there early, and they were doing it before a whole bunch of people started doing it. And they also had markets which had very good trends. So in in the seventies, the late sixties, the seventies, there were just spectacular profits to be made for somebody who was a consistent, uh, disciplined trend follower. But in the 80s, 90s, more recently, it's gotten more difficult as more and more people have used that approach. So there are still trends in the market without question. They're just much more difficult to exploit. So you can make money as a trend follower, but it's certainly gotten more difficult. Warren Buffett said, unless you can go into drawdown, you shouldn't be in the markets. Let's talk about drawdown because it's an essential part of a trend following system. Okay, so, well, drawdowns are, unless you're a, a day trader or something like that, drawdowns are almost inevitable. Whether you're a, a fundamentalist like Martin Taylor with the Apple position we were talking about, or you're a trend follower like Sakoda, you can't actually exploit a trend without willing to take drawdowns along the way. Of course, the, the tricky balancing act is surviving the, the meaningless drawdowns, but avoiding the ones which are big, which are no more draw, not turn out to be not drawdowns, but actually the total reversal of a trend. So that's where the difficulty uh, uh, becomes in trend following. So you need to have a certain amount of staying power, and if your stops or your reversals are too close, you'll be constantly getting out of good trades. On the other hand, if they're too far, you will just take losses that are too large. And that's part of the art of, uh, of tre- trend following in a way that is profitable without excessive risk. All right. So you just said that's the art of trend following. So I want to ask this question, science or art? Is trading a science or art? Because I've got a friend who was the first female in the Australian Stock Exchange, and she's a hand chartist. She's 87, and she still draws hand charts. She swears trading's an art. What's your view? I think it's um, it's... It's both, okay? So there are people like your friend and many other traders that I've interviewed where it really is an art. But there's also traders who are quant geniuses and devise approaches that exploit inefficiencies in the market. And they're basically doing it totally quantitatively. So I wouldn't say it's an art. I would say there it is mathematical ability and insight. So, which is more of a science, and uh, so you have you have the scientists and you have the uh, you have the artists, and they both can be successful, but one cannot do what the other does. They each have their own particular skills. You're 
your friend probably would not succeed trying to do a, uh, a highly complicated computerized approach, nor would uh, somebody like Ed Thorpe, who's one of the great quant traders and researchers of all time, um, no more than he could succeed doing charts, something which he actually believes is just nonsense and uh, and has complete disdain for. So ironically, they each can succeed, but but using their own approach, one which is art, one which is science. Now at the back of the 700-page futures guide, you have lessons learned from the market wizards, and I can't let you get away without talking about some of the lessons. So number one, and probably the only one I want to talk about, is discipline. And you said that discipline is the most frequent word used by the exceptional traders you've interviewed. Yeah, because when I would ask, one question I would always ask everyone is, okay, so what makes you different? And and the most common answer was was discipline. And actually, a few of the managers I trade uh, I interviewed were ex Marines. That's probably not an accident. And the reason is, whatever your approach is, you know, we talked art and science, fundamentals, technical, whatever. No matter what it is, you've got to have a specific approach that has an edge, and then. You must have the discipline to, to, to execute it. And you must have the discipline to use good risk management because without that, it's just a matter of time before you get knocked out of the market. So it all comes down to discipline. And if you talk to traders and if you talk to them about uh, when they lost discipline, they did something wrong, I said it backwards, when they did something wrong will almost invariably be something that is, is a failure of discipline. That is kind of an essential trait. If you don't have self-discipline, there's no way you could be a good trader. Where can people go to get a copy of a complete guide to the futures market second edition? Okay, so the easiest place is is to go to Amazon or you can buy directly from Wiley. Jack, really lovely talking with you. Good luck with the book. Come back again on Talking Trading. Oh, sure. Great to be here. Thanks a lot, Caroline. Have a good one. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week for the inimitable Chris Tate as he gives a wrap of the markets. And we also hear from Nib Dargan on the online broking world. I'm Caroline Stephen. Have a good week in the markets. We'll see you next show. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.